Hi, this is Betsy Beers. I'm the executive producer of Scandal, and this is Scandal Revealed, which is the official Scandal podcast for the television programming Scandal, which is, of course, on Thursday nights on ABC at 10 o'clock. And very, very happy to be here. Very happy that once again the podcast is official. They have not deofficialized us, which would be awkward. So I beg them every week, please don't deofficialize us, because then I'm going to have to change what I say in the beginning of each podcast, which would get super awkward. But anyway, enough about that, because that's probably kind of boring for you guys, because I talk about that a lot. Instead, I have something amazing. I have the most amazing person here, the most incredibly great guest, because I have known this gentleman and actually gotten to work with him on another fine television Shondaland program called Private Practice. Paul Edelstein, who plays Leo. Bergen on the current television show Scandal, who also played Cooper Friedman. What a double pile of love right there. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad to be here. See, he's sitting in my office. He's wearing what we like to call is an homage to our director, Mark Tinker, who was the producing director of the fine television program, Private Practice. He's wearing um, a very spicy button-down blue and white striped man Taylor shirt, some nice jeans, and um, some dirty bucks. They're boots. They're, 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 they're boots. They're boots. They're, they're, they're uh, Douglas fur boots. They're Douglas fur boots. They're bucky, my, my though. They are bucky. They're kind of bucky ish. Not suede. Leather. They're not suede. They're leather, which is way more kind of suave and macho. And, don't you? And suave and more macho than Tinker, who wear, who for all his style, who wears silly shoes. Kind of wears silly, fancy, sneakers. like Jerry Seinfeld sneakers. He does kind of wear. So, Tinker, I know you don't listen to this, but even if you did, somebody may tell you, stop with the sneakers. I was in a restaurant wearing a very similar outfit, except it was, I was wearing this, not, I was wearing a white t shirt and a gray cardigan sweater. And I looked across the room and I saw a blonde woman who was wearing a gray cardigan sweater and a white t-shirt and jeans rolled up with brown boots, turned around with Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> and I said, we're dressed exactly alike. <laughs> so Did she acknowledge that? No, Did she try no, to get no, you no. going to cleanse? Oh, no, no. That's I felt in good company and kind of humiliated. At the That's same time. The, <laughs> there is a little bit of that. Yeah. That happens to me every once in a while on Sundays when I go to Whole Foods in my overalls. And I'm, surprisingly enough, I'm dressed like every seven-year-old. <laughs> Okay, now we're here to talk about episode 312, mm -hmm. which is called We Do Not Touch the First Ladies, which is kind of accurate. I think what's interesting about this episode to me, there are lots of different things. First of all, we learn a lot about Mellie, Mellie's backstory and past, and the very, very interesting backstory that she has with the new vice presidential candidate, who it turns out they really do have a history, and we watch in flashbacks the kind of dramatically horrifying scene of her trying to kill herself and her being rescued, and we find out why these two have a sort of bond, which is interesting. But also we find that I have a feeling Leo Bergen has his hands full Leo in a lot is, of ways. Leo is treading water a little bit because he has this weight around his ankle, which is the vice president of the United States, who has committed a murder, mm -hmm. is running for president mm -hmm. while she's still a sitting vice president. Mm -hmm. Which is complicated. And is super duper religious. And is starting to, for lack of a better word, go mad from guilt and shame. And Leo is launching her into campaign mode. And so he needs her to be a bit of a show pony and bring money in and be on her game. And she is not on her game. She's starting to be almost not functional as a human. So yeah, Leo is is juggling a lot. Oh, yeah. We want Hollis. We want that oil money. We want that money. And we think we have it. And then maybe something happens. He does a little end around. Maybe, maybe so, because Hollis, not the most trustworthy fellow. No. He did introduce us to Gettysburgers. That's one of the biggest great things about Hollis to me is Hollis was the first guy to start yelling about Gettysburgers. So right. 
Once again on this show, one of the things I think is really fun about it is that you meet a character and you think, he's slick and he's making other characters' life a living hell and blah, blah, blah. I feel really sorry for Leo in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, I think this is the first episode where Leo's really funny and slick and smart and has a little bit of a rage issue himself, from what Slight, I can tell. yes. Just a little bit of a temper. Mm -hmm. There was a scene with a pen yes. that, that is ingrained in my memory and to this day makes me laugh until stuff comes out of my nose. I kept saying to the director during that scene, she's the vice president. Can I talk to her this way? Oh yeah, it's great. See, it's all in caps. I said, I know, but can I really talk to the vice Yes, yes, please talk to the vice president. I said, okay. You know, Kate is game, so it was, it was more than fun. But in this particular case, his rage, Leo's rage is not really getting through. Nothing's getting through, seemingly. No, and then there's the, the Cyrus problem. One of my other favorite things is the ongoing rivalry between Cyrus and Leo Bergen, I find hysterically funny for some reason. And just that all Leo does is taunt Cyrus. And well, Cyrus goes for it every single time. But seems to get the better of Leo quite often. He does. As well, I think. It's interesting for all of Cyrus's mastery over politics. Leo does seem to be able to push his buttons pretty quickly. I think it's because Leo kind of wants to be Cyrus, so yeah. I think he knows where the weak spots are. Yeah. And I think it spins Cyrus out, but he usually recovers pretty well. It is interesting how Sally really does totally listen to you and how she's the boss, but you really do treat her like an employee. Well, I think that she wants it badly. She wants to be president. Leo has the keys to the castle a little bit. I think that he has a plan, and she knows that he has a plan that's going to get her there, and so she accepts his shaky ethics mm -hmm. and his underhanded dealings mm -hmm. and his smarts. I mean, I think that the vice president sees Fitz and sees Cyrus and says, you need a Cyrus, and Leo is her Cyrus. How's it working with Kate? I mean, it is so fun. <laughs> she is such an amazing actor, but I really do wish... And we have so much fun on screen together, but I do kind of wish the audience could see in between takes because yeah. she is so uproariously funny. She's such a funny woman. You don't picture her as a funny woman. I mean, the roles she plays are so, there's so much gravitas and there's so much grandeur in them, both yeah. on Grey's and on Scandal, that to see her kind of cracking wise and being body is really, really funny. On top of that, she has had the most amazing life. She has the most amazing showbiz stories. Oh, they're, they're pretty great. As she says, jokingly, she says the, the only two actresses I've ever lived with are Jane Kaczmarek and Elizabeth Taylor. You know, and, she, and that's true. Those are the two actresses she's lived with in her life. And, you know, that's just the beginning of the kind of story she can spin. And so we, I enjoy that very much. And then we kind of crack each other up. Like the pen scene, we were doing that scene. And every time they yelled cut, we'd look at each other and say, oh, my God, are they letting us, they're going to let us do this like this. I love this. This is a blast. She's, she's just great. And, you know, I learn from her every day, too. I love how she navigates it. It's really, really fun to watch you guys together because as she sort of slips slowly more into carpet staring, she does some amazing carpet staring this episode. The patterns on the carpet, pretty, is, pretty fascinating to watch. Where her husband's blood is dried <laughs> somewhere <laughs> under there, yeah. It's like there's a really lovely balance of silences and blathering and silences and blathering this right. episode, which is just incredibly funny to watch and incredibly delightful. What do you think your favorite scene is so far that you've shot? Uh, the pen scene, you know, you'll lose, 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 all that stuff. That you know, it was fun because there was there was a there was a humor in it because it be, he became so upset. But also, I liked where he was politically in that it was a it's a binary. You're either going to become pro-choice or you're going to lose. And I don't want to be around a loser, so pick it. it. It's not a moral thing for 
for Leo, although Leo is probably pro-choice. It wasn't a moral issue. It wasn't for the good of the country. It was to get ele you elected, period. That's my job. And there was something so fun about playing that to someone who is, you know, staked her career on being a, you know, hard right Christian. Because I'm not appealing to her moral sense. I'm not trying to change her mind. I'm just saying, I don't care what you have to do to get yourself there. You're either going to do it or you're not. One of the things I find amazing about the show is it always makes me look at these jobs differently. Like, I didn't think of these particular political consultants. As part and parcel of the job, we read a lot of books about politics now, but the job of the guy, the campaign guy, who goes from different candidate to different candidate, you are just the Tom Joad, like the grapes of wrath. Totally. Of, you get in your truck and you go from one guy to another, and it's not about, it's like being a defense attorney. It's not about whether a client's guilty or innocent. It's how do I actually win this case. That's right. And that's what's been so interesting to watch is it's, it was that episode a while ago where Leo Bergen's going from the president's office to Sally Langston's office and watching him in that office with the first lady where, by the way, he treats them like employees too. I mean, right. He's sitting in the, he's sitting in the Oval Office and Melly, you see all the blood drain out of her face and he's just like, I don't care. Right. There's I'm something about these people that is extra political. It's like they don't exist in, they don't exist in ideology. You know, my brother's a political consultant. Really? Mm-hmm. And he is, a, he's a media consultant, a political consultant. He was chairman of Clinton Girl, Illinois when he was 20 and he started a media business and he does, you know, he did 20 congressional races last year and da 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 And I called him about Leo, obviously. And I said, are there guys, because he's a, he's a Democratic political consult consultant uh -huh, uh -huh. exclusively, and most are exclusive to one party or another. So even though they will waffle on an issue, I think there's a justification that they're still working on one side of the ideological divide. But my brother said really at the upper, upper, upper levels, there really are the guys who switch back and forth to the highest bidder, to the person who has the best shot, that are really simply power brokers and don't have an ideological base whatsoever. Leo Bergen is clearly one of those guys. Whereas it feels a little more like Cyrus is probably a lifelong Republican operative. I think Leo goes, you know, where the wind's going to blow him. He senses a weakness and fits as you know, we learned in that first scene in the Oval with him and Cyrus and Melly, and he thinks she has a shot, and that's where he is. I mean, I think part of the humor that happens between Leo and the vice president is that she's talking about Christian right values, and I mean, it is about 10 miles over his head. He just, that is just not this guy's experience. I mean, I imagine him being Jewish, for one thing, uh, probably. Hey, Jewish. You know, and probably liberal arts educated. And, you know, I just imagine all these things for Leo. And so when she starts going down that road, it is, it is she might as well be speaking Chinese to him. And he kind of just has to hold on. And there's something I, I really like, something about that that level, even though he treats her like an employee, levels the play, playing field a little bit because she is amongst almost everybody on the show. She is the true believer. I mean, she really is a true believer, Sally Langston. And that, I think, appeals to Leo, but it also scares him because it could, it could really crash the whole system. It's also, I think, I think you're right. I think it's an interesting thing that she, first of all, nobody's ever said that, but she is the only person on the show with a real ideological belief. Right. With the exception, weirdly, of Melly, who I think purely believes fits, like purely right. believes in fits. But in terms of an ideology, yeah. And I think what's interesting about Leo, too, is you're right. I, but I think that's over there because Leo's three steps ahead in terms of he's worried about logistics and the logistical realities of each step of what he's got to do because he's been down the road before how he's going to get this particular mule on this particular mule horse ride, whatever it is, that's the part that's a surprise for him. The rest of it's not the surprise. So the, the right. unknown 
is exactly what he's starting to find out is she's a little crazy balls at this point. Well, you know, and but I also love his ability to roll with that, which is you <laughs> he's know, going with which it. Which is he took over the Hollis meeting. I'm your first call. Like, what are you thinking? Which is such a great political consultant mentality. Well, and not to pause. Like, no. what are you what are you thinking? If you kill someone, I'm your first and call. Don't call the friggin' White House. Don't call the enemy. Call uh, you know. Call me. I, it's something that Liv would say, too, though. It's totally an Olivia Pope, right? She might contemplate the ethical, moral implications for a beat longer than, than Leo may. The conflict between Leo and Sally is that he's showing her that some of that stuff has to go. I mean, she is pro-life. She's anti-abortion, and she now feels she's being punished by God. And it's like, so maybe genius. you're being punished by God because you stabbed a man to death, your husband. I think about these jobs differently now, too. You were saying that, Betsy, about politicians and that there's guys that are advised them not on ideological grounds and that the, that's how some not all some of those decisions are being made you know this is going to play in to these people and that honestly when you talk about the boss employee thing is there are very very few of you and there are tons of politicians right. and the weird thing is you are the get mm -hmm. so in a weird way they're all courting you which means when you get in the situation of you actually managing them you have to be the parent you have to be in control because yeah. that's what they're paying you to do there's that great book this town that actually my brother told me to read. Yeah, it yeah. starts off with Tim Russert's funeral. And what it really describes so brilliantly is how all the people in the room, enemies everywhere, is that they're, they're all, especially now that so much money is in it, that, like you said, the politicians are the ones that come and go. The infrastructure is there. Now, some of those politicians then become lobbyists or consultants or, you know, they get appointed to different things. But that the, the machine is running and the people that want to grab a hold of it and stand on top of it. The politicians are the ones who are, to a certain degree, at everyone else's mercy. And I find that, too, when you read Double Down or you read right. any of these books which are out. You guys, there, there are two books that are great about the first Obama election and the second Obama election. And, you know, Gates has a book out now. There are all these different books from different points of view. Cheney. That is a, that is a riot. <laughs> that's, He's that's, I'm sure, that's like a musical comedy. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's super interesting because you do all of a sudden start to see candidates as this fungible thing. And the guys who decide which candidates are really going to be placed certain ways is what's really interesting, which is, I think, one of the great things about having a character like Leo Burkin, because you're not saddled with the Olivia Pope white hat. We can actually just watch the machinations in all of their right. beautiful, spectacular, right. and fast-paced, fast-talking glory. And even Fitz, you know, I, we just gave him a bit of a bum deal because I do think he has an ideology. I think he maybe ethically is a little more well lubricated in that he knows, <laughs> it's a terrible metaphor, I don't know where, why I came up with that, but that he... You're thinking about Fitz. Knows he, <laughs> touche. I know that he knows that he has to do some bad things in order to lead, in order to stay in power, yes. et cetera. Yes. And so I'm actually staring at Tony's face right now on a Grant poster, so it's freaking me out a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit. He's watching you. He is watching it's me. basically. I think that there's a spectrum here, and I think Leo is on the one side. Whichever side of the spectrum is purely functional. Now, I always like to ask this question because I still think it's such a good question, and I ask it for almost anybody, but Scandalicious, Gladiators Rock, hashtag Gladiators Rock, what would be a good theme song for your life or your character? Oh my God, what a great question. Isn't that a good I question? I can't believe you didn't send that to me earlier. It'd give me a second to contemplate. It's okay, you contemplate and something might pop up or not. Diamonds on the soles of your shoes. I don't know why that, <laughs> I don't know why that occurs to me. He's a bit of a dandy, you know, I, I like that about him. I, I don't know, let me think about that one. This is, by the way, from somebody who's a musician and has a band. So it's the worst question to ask somebody right. who has a band. because I'm going to now be up all night going through my going iTunes through, library exactly. and like YouTubing songs. And it's hard to imagine Leo Bergen listening to music. Well, if Sally had a ringtone for Leo. Oh, that's a good one. 
It's probably Havanagila. It's probably Havanagila. Oh, that's that's relatively to say. Offensive. My Yiddish mama. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Or an Alan Sherman song. Yeah. Hello, Mutta. Hello, Mutta. Bobblehead Lives also um, has a question which really has no relevance to anything except it's very funny, which is, you personally, what's your favorite board game? Currently? Do you play board games? It's been a while. I really like Apples to Apples, which is a really fun like party game that's going around now. I've never played that. It's really fun. And then, you know, we tried to get into Settlers of Catan at one point, but that just felt like work. But I, I'll, I'll go with Monopoly or Stratego. Candyland. Candyland. I'm a big Candyland fan. Of course, I don't play it anymore, but well, I like to think of the ice cream float. It just makes I, me happy at various does. points of the day. It does. And on Sundays in your, in your overalls. On my overalls, by the way, it's super, out. super appropriate. It is. I wonder if I can get that for my iPhone. That's little Candyland. I wonder. Get, I think it's called Candy Crush. <laughs> That's what oh, that right. I've never played Candy Crush. I'm terrified. Yeah, don't you start that. Ayoko Hala at Coco1215 wants to know, how do you prepare before a long day of shooting on set? Um, I know my lines. Okay, everybody, that's really important. People don't talk about this a lot, but you have no idea how nice it is when they know their lines. When actors know their lines, it means everybody can actually act. So any actors out there, learn your lines. I think it's also, um, especially on a show like Scandal, where you want to be word perfect and you have to talk very, very fast. You have to know it's so cold. Do you have a hard time learning lines? Not Shonda lines. I don't. I didn't on private and I don't hear it. You, you have days where you have a brain freeze and then you have uh, what my wife likes to call a shame spiral, where you just start getting worse and worse Paul's lovely wife is an amazingly talented actress who we should actually know played Amanda Tanner and she's still at the bottom of the Potomac no they fished her out no we fished her out that was a great winch we winched her out of that water which was one of the more exciting moments of that season we we fought very hard for the winch I couldn't watch the uh, autopsy good Um, nor should you no I barely could either because I actually am very fond of his wife the what's really fun this sounds so silly to say out loud as an actor but when you have those monologues, I wish the people at home, people listening, could see what those monologues look like because they take up a lot of space. Oh, it's daunting. It you is guys. daunting. And I've had a couple nights where it's like you get it at 8, 9 o'clock and you're up at 6 in the morning and you got to go to work. There's something about the challenge of that that I really like. There's something about playing Leo that it feels like he has a level of mastery in the language. And so you better know it because Leo would know it. You know, Leo knows what he's going to say and Leo speaks in three paragraph form. So I try to know my lines literally inside and out and get some sleep. Sleep and knowing lines. And when I tell you guys that we sit down at the table read, and I can remember at least once where we pulled open the script and Paul had literally a two-page monologue. It's a monologue that goes on for two pages. This happens for Cyrus like once an episode and you can see Jeff Perry's eyeballs roll in the back of his head. It's not easy. Maybe it's because I'm so familiar with Shonda's writing now that I find it gets into my head pretty quickly. I think it's interesting because Cooper had a totally different rhythm. Yeah, right. Cooper could halt. He you was saw, a bit of a fumbler. Yeah. And you saw Cooper process things. Like Leo talks like he dresses. Like there exactly is nothing right. out of place in Leo. Leo is so slick dressing wise that you could skate off his tie. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah, and Lynn, who is such a genius, you know, I had the script and I thought, well, who is this guy? And we had a conversation on the phone. I said like two things. I said, I think maybe he's a uh, pocket square guy and a, and a cufflink guy. And just from that conversation alone, I went in and she basically handed me Leo Bergen. You know, he suits with the pink thing and a, and a pink tie. And he's just a slight bit of a Washington dandy. And it just made it all kind of come together for me. And that is a big part of it, too. It's fascinating. How much do you think you know about Leo's backstory? As you guys all know, we talk about this a lot. We tend not to hear at Shondaland. Shonda doesn't tend to load up a new character with a ton of history. We discover it as we go, which means the actors, in order to get up in the morning and do their jobs, 
have to have a rich enough private life in their brains that they can function. So do you do you have a fair amount of that? Or I do, but you also it's a balance. You, you have to have enough to be that you're going to make yourself comfortable being real, you know, and believe the guy, but not so much that you box yourself into a corner where a curveball comes and you say, oh, I don't know if my character, you, you can't do that to yourself either. One of the nice things about a guy like Leo is, yeah, I have a pretty involved backstory for him that I have in my head, but it's also a backstory that he has tamped way, way down. He's not bringing his personal life to work, right? Nor Whereas, like Cooper Friedman, is all he's there is very fine, you know, very well private fluid practice. Line. There was nothing else, but I mean, it's called private practice. <laughs> yeah, like right. ever, all anybody was doing those right. poor, well, they were they were saving lives and they were talking in the kitchen. Leo, you know, people probably imagine him going and putting himself in a chirogenic chamber at night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he doesn't want people to be able to imagine where he lives. So there's something about that that uh, that without having the backstory written in it, it actually serves. His purpose a little it's, bit. It actually is good. He's, his brain is the equivalent of B613. That being said, I feel like if whatever comes out in the next script, if anything comes out about his personal life, I could believe almost anything about that guy. Yeah, me too. Or he's one of three incredibly competitive brothers who... You mean an Emmanuel? Do you know, he could be that family he too. He could be that, totally. You know, he could honestly, he could have come from anything. He could be which totally self-invented. He could be, or, or he, he could, could be coming from, he could be a scion of political history and he's the offspring that had the gift of gab and was the head of the debating team. Absolutely. It's, it's cool. It, it gives you a lot of options and you can also, it seems like you can integrate anything you really, really need to. There was a line about Leo's romantic life at one point in the pen scene actually that got cut, which um, any actors I always, I'm disappointed that one of my lines got cut. But it, I like that it, 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 kept, it kept him clean to a certain degree. See, this has been so great because I, A, that I get to actually spend actually 20 minutes with you and talk is great because it's good that we can sort of catch up. And because of course, you know, you're one of my favorite human beings on earth and any way we can, we try to put Paul Edelstein in all our shows. So there's just a general rule. We we actually tried with Grey's Anatomy, and that didn't work out no. at one point. So as soon as we were casting Private Practice, one of the first people we all, and Linda Lawyer, Fabulous Casting Director, was like, Paul Edelstein. We were both like, oh, yeah. Mm. And Shonda had an idea for a character. And then Leo Bergen was pretty much developed and designed for you because we thought it would be really fun to watch you do something that was the anti-Cooper Friedman it really is. in a lot of ways. I opened that first script and I said, oh my goodness, right? I cannot believe it. And I there wasn't that this. much in the first script. I mean, I opened it and it was me dressing Cyrus down in the oval. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Jeff Perry, always an easy guy to dress down, yeah, too. Right, exactly. exactly. We're going to be back next week with another phenomenal new podcast. The next episode is called No Sun on the Horizon. It's going to be amazing. Some of the things that we've talked about today with Paul Edelstein, I think you're going to see some amazing things with Sally. There's mm. a gigantic event that might be occurring in this episode. And also, it's just really, really good. So you should check in. That's Thursday, March 13th, which is coming up. Phenomenal episode of television. Check it out on 10 o'clock to 11, ABC, Thursday. Don't forget that at nine o'clock on Thursday night next week, we're gonna have a brand new episode of Grey's Anatomy. Surgeons, people with scalpels, some emotional issues, babies, relationships, it's all good. You also know how to find us. Facebook, Twitter, the official hashtag, the original hashtag scandal, Pinterest, Tumblr, and for people like me, abc.com, because I always know how to find it by going, hey, where's abc.com? Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. 
This is Betsy Beers. Thank you, Paul Edelstein. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. I'm the executive producer of Scandal. This is Scandal Revealed. Have a really safe and terrific week, and we'll be talking in about seven days. Bye-bye.